mouth and my heart that I may proclaim the holy gospel of God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. And on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. And so they took it. And when the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. The Gospel of the Lord. And so, Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that we would hear not just the words of men, but the words of God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to take that as my text this morning from John's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1054. 1054, John's Gospel, chapter 2, and beginning at verse 1. I've titled my talk this morning, That You Might Believe. That You Might Believe. Now, most of us are familiar with the story about Jesus turning the water into, the, into wine. If you've never read it in John's Gospel, chapter 2, perhaps you've heard a, a preacher preach on it in a sermon, or perhaps you've even heard someone like Johnny Cash or someone else sing about it. But have you ever asked yourself, why do we have this story in the first place? Is it just meant to amaze us? I mean, you know, turning water into wine. That doesn't happen very often. In our marriage rite in the Book of Common Prayer, we read that Jesus' presence and his miracle at the wedding of Cana signifies his blessing on the institution of marriage. But is that the primary point that John is trying to make here by including in his gospel what happened at Cana? Or is he perhaps aiming at something more? Well, John tells us that there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Cana wasn't very far away from Nazareth where Jesus had his hometown. And Jesus tells us that Jesus' mother, Mary, was there. It seems that she may very well have known who it was that was getting married in this town that wasn't so very far from her own town. 
And we're told by John that Jesus also was invited to, uh, to the wedding and uh, with his disciples. In fact, it's interesting to note that Nathaniel, one of his disciples who's, who's figured, who figures in John's gospel, was in fact a, a resident of Canaan, a Galilee. That was his hometown. So there seems to be some connection here. John tells us that when the wine ran out, <laughs> maybe you've been in a situation like that, Mary said to Jesus, they have no wine. Now in Jesus' day, these weddings, as in the Middle Eastern Jewish tradition, would go on sometimes for a week. And in Jesus' day, to fail to properly provide for the guests from beginning to end, people who uh, may, may very uh, likely have come from out of town and maybe even uh, traveled uh, significant distances to be there, to fail to properly provide for them during the wedding was considered a serious breach of hospitality, uh, even a scandal and an offense uh, should it happen. And so John tells us that when the wine ran out, Mary said to Jesus, they have no wine. Now, presumably, Mary was thinking that Jesus could do something about it. Not that it would seem that he would go and buy any wine. Jesus didn't have any money. Quite literally, he had no money. Uh, but he, she knew who Jesus was. She was there when Gabriel announced uh, his conception. He, she, was, he, she was there when he was born, obviously. And the shepherds turned up on what we think of as the first Christmas night and said the things that they said, things that she, we're told in the Bible, just stored up in her heart. She heard the prophetic word of Simeon and Anna. So she knew who he was. And uh, perhaps that's what she was getting at. You know, uh, we've got a problem here, a serious problem. It doesn't maybe seem serious to us. It was dead serious to them. And so she goes to Jesus. But then John tells us that uh, Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with me? Literally in the Greek it says, What does that have to do with you and me? And so we have it in the New Living Translation, uh, putting it this way, Dear woman, that's not our problem. <laughs> we know these people, maybe there's cousins here and so on and so forth, but we're not running the show, we're guests. And uh, mom, you know, it's not on us. But then Jesus adds something uh, interesting and maybe a sort of a strange um, word. Uh, not as strange maybe if you read the whole Gospel of John and then come back and read it, chapter 1 and chapter 2, uh, which sometimes is helpful. But Jesus said, my hour has not come. My hour has not yet come. Which if you read the Gospel of John is a reference to a series of events including Jesus' suffering, his passion, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his glorification again at the right hand of God. In fact, we reread in the Gospel of John, coming to chapter 12, when apparently the hour had come. Now we read this, and Jesus said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then he uses some sort of parabolic language, but I think you'll get the point. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, speaking of his own death, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. 
And then he makes this application to his disciples. And whoever loves his life will lose it, but whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And then he says, and now my soul is troubled because he's anticipating his passion and his suffering. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. My hour has come. He says, but for this purpose I came. I came. I have come for this hour. Or one chapter later, chapter 13, and beginning at verse 1. And we read, and now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Or John 17. And when Jesus had said these things to the disciples, all that he said in chapter 16 and 15 and 14 and 13. Chapter 17 and verse 1. And when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Therefore glorify your Son with, with the glory that I might be glorified with you. Verse 4, and, and, and I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And so this, the hour that's coming is associated with all of these things. He's troubled. And then he anticipates being glorified with the Father. The passion, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. But now at the wedding in Cana, and Jesus is only just now getting started with his public ministry, he says, my hour has not come. It's not time for me to do this sort of thing, I imagine, you were anticipating I might do, Mom, is what Jesus is saying. And still John says that his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. And she has apparently some power. Well, you better mind what Miriam from Nazareth said, you know. She said, uh, whatever Jesus says to do, we should do it. Then John says that there was a six stone water jars, large, Water jars made of stone for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons of water. It's a lot of water. Uh, this is a reference to water that was used in Jesus' day and by devout Jewish people. They had these uh, ritual washings. Uh, it was m m more um, uh, religious. Uh, well, I shouldn't say it. Maybe both end, but certainly religious. You remember that the Pharisees got mad because Jesus' disciples ate with unwashed hands. That's what they were referring to as this, this ritual process. But here you come, you have all of these people coming to this wedding, lots of people for a long time, and this was what was practiced. You, you need a lot of water. And so here you have these six water jars that hold 20 or 30 gallons of water each. And John says to, that Jesus said to these servants, fill the water jars with water. Fill them to the brim. And that's what they did. And they filled them up to the brim. 
And then Jesus said to them, now draw some out <laughs> and take it to the master of the feast. We would call him, or I think it was him, a banquet coordinator. <laughs> take it to the banquet coordinator. And so they took it, John said. And then John says, and then the master of the feast, the banquet coordinator, tasted the water that had become wine. And he didn't know where it came from, John says, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Of course they knew. They were right there. And the master of the feast called the bridegroom. The bridegroom, this is at the bridegroom's home or his family home. That's the way it went uh, in Jesus' day. The broad bridegroom would go to the bride's home and collect her in the evening and take her to his home. And then that's when the wedding and the the banqueting would all begin. So he's more or less the formal host of the party. So the, the banquet coordinator goes to him and, and said, uh, in astonishment, he says, everyone serves the good wine first. <laughs> and then when people have drunk freely, then they, then they serve the poor wine, right? <laughs> we know exactly what he means. When people haven't had anything to drink, man, their, their sense of taste is very, very sensitive. And so uh, you want to serve them the, you know, the, best, the best wine. And then everybody says, what a marvelous wine this is, and so on. But after a few glasses of marvelous wine, it really doesn't make any difference what you give them because uh, they're drunk, or tipsy at least. And so, so he's amazed because they're halfway through this or however long. He, he's expecting that, that it would be the poorer wine. But this is the wine that Jesus made. This is like, wow! I mean, this is the best wine this guy has ever tasted. And so he's shocked. And what had threatened to be an unmitigated social disaster has now by Jesus been turned into an unprecedented success. And still, and this is very interesting, you should notice this when you're reading the Gospels, how few people know what's going on. I was thinking about this the other day. Jesus was transfigured on Mount Hermon. It was a high mountain apart, apart as it's described. Jesus and his disciples were at the, in the north. The, he doesn't, it's not called uh, Mount Hermon, but it's very likely Mount Hermon. I remember being in that area and looking at Mount Hermon. The top of it was in the clouds. It's about 9,000 foot elevation. And somewhere, they didn't, they didn't have to... Uh, uh, get to the top of it, but somewhere on the mount, Jesus was transfigured, and Moses appeared there, and, and, and Elijah the prophet appeared there, but he only took along three people, Peter, James, and John. You might have expected, hey, everybody, let's go up the mountain, and let me show you what I really got, and then we'll go back down and start Jesus Christ Ministries in Capernaum, or, or this. You might have said, excuse me, you might have thought he would say, excuse me, excuse me, may I have your attention? I heard that we ran out of wine, and some of you are beginning to complain, but I am here, and we're going to take care of this right now. We've had the servants fill the water pots with water. Stand back, please. Stand back. Wow! Let's start Jesus Christ ministries and, and, and uh, the, the, uh, the, the Cana uh, you know, in Cana, what do you call it when you have more than one? 
Anyway, the branch, the branch, the, the Cana branch of Jesus Christ's ministry. But only the servants knew. Mary knew. And the disciples knew. And John says that this was the first of the signs. Notice what he calls it. He calls it a sign. He doesn't call it a miracle. He calls it a sign. This is the first of the signs that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. And he manifested his glory. He showed forth his glory. Notice that the, that, that it, the wine is not the point. The wine is the sign. Now, if you ride out here on, on uh, 90 and you're, you're heading toward Houston and you see a sign that says, Houston, 29 miles, the sign is not Houston. And no, you wouldn't pull the car over next to the sign and say, kids, we're here. <laughs> the sign points to the thing that matters. The wine is a sign. It's not the point. The point is Jesus. He is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the Christos. He's the Christ. He's the creator of all things. You think like, I mean, if it, I can't imagine Jesus saying to Mary, okay, you know, Mom, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of this, but just give me a moment, will you? And go over here, you know, and kind of like, you know, get it up, you know, like, <clears throat> I need to get up, you know, get the power up to change the water into the wine. He's the creator of the universe. I don't know how he did it. He knows how he did it. That's all that matters. He's the creator of all things. In fact, we read in John's Gospel, chapter 1, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's the point, not the wine. The wine is a sign. The wine points to this is him. That's who you're dealing with, this guy who doesn't have enough money to buy the wine. He just makes the wine. <laughs> The wine is not the point. <laughs> Jesus is the point. And the last thing that John says in verse 11, and his disciples believed in him. And so what's the point? <laughs> the point is Jesus. And yet there's, there's more because... Believe it or not, you and I are part of the point. It's an interesting thing John writes at the end of his gospel, and I really do commend you. If you don't understand what's going on in chapter 2 or chapter 3, just keep on reading because you might get the answer in chapter 6 or chapter 7. <laughs> Wouldn't have, You know what? Just recently, I, I was given a book by a friend in the UK. said, I'm sending along this book. It's, I think you'll like it and so forth. And I read it. In fact, I, it was so good. You know what I did? I read it twice. <laughs> I said to myself, there are things in this book. It's called A Theology of the Ordinary. <clears throat> there are things that are being said in this book I need to get on my hard drive. And so I think I'm going to read it again. And then a friend, a, a professor in Austin, sent me uh, uh, an article. He didn't send it just to me. He sent it to a group of people. 
And uh, it was so good, you know what I did? Guess. I read it again. I read it twice because I thought there's things in this article that I need to get and I commented and sent some things back and so on, right? Read John and then you know what? Read it again. And you'll understand a great deal more because in the mind of the, a gospel writer, he's thinking about the whole thing. So when you come to the end of John's gospel, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, this is what you read. John writes, and Jesus did many other signs. We think of it as miracles. John says, no, I mean, they're miracles, they're miraculous, but the point is they're signs. They point to Jesus and tell us something about him. Jesus making the, taking the, the little boy's uh, lunch of five loaves and two fish. And he takes it and he multiplies it and he gives it to the disciples and he seems never to stop giving it to the disciples. And they feed 5,000 people with it. Well, the 5,000 says, hey, you know, who needs to work? Let's follow Jesus around the Sea of Galilee. And they did until Jesus turned around and says, you're missing the point. It seems like religious people often miss the point. You're missing the point. The sign points to me, and the message is, I am the bread of life. <laughs> I'm the light of the world. And what does Jesus do? He heals a man. He gives sight to a man who was born blind. These are signs. And so John says, and now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. Of course, like, what were they, John? <laughs> we don't know. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which were not written in this book, but the ones that I have written. But these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in His name. That's why. And so I wonder, do you believe? I mean, really believe. Not just like, oh yeah, I've heard that story since I was a child. It's a very touching story. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, wow. He told him, fill the water pots. And then he said, now draw it out. And it was wine. And not just wine. It wasn't just like, you know, ripple. <laughs> Thunderbird. I mean, this was the bottom shelf. I mean, this was the best wine that the banquet coordinator had ever tasted. He was completely astonished. But it's not about the wine. It's about the one who made it. Do I believe in him? And do I have eternal life, everlasting life, God's kind of life, the kind of life that when it's in you changes everything? You can't just sit by and say, Oh, I have life. No, no. What did Paul say? 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That's transformation. The old has passed away. The water is gone. And behold, all things are new. It's wine now. 
and the best that's ever been processed. It was a quick process. In fact, the gift of eternal life comes just in a split second, in a twinkle of an eye when we say, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Wherever you go, I will be there. Whatever you do, I will follow. Whatever you say, Lord, you're the boss, you're Lord, you're curious, not me. <laughs> and then we find joy unspeakable and full of glory and freedom and liberty, satisfaction, contentment like we've never known to the extent that we just rest in him. Amen? That you might believe Let us pray. Now, Lord, we, we know. I, we know that it's a process. <clears throat> we know that we, can, we experience this, and then we're in the world, and then the world shouts to us, and then we, we, we're tempted, and, and so on, and growing into what we've just described, it takes time. But nothing gets built and nothing changes if we haven't settled in our own mind that Jesus is Lord and that he is with you co-creator of all things. <laughs> if, he, if he tells us to, and he died for us, for our sins, he has every right to say, follow me. He has every right to say, if you love me, keep my commandments. He has every right. But the ironic thing is that when we do that, it's not onerous, not if we're in love with him, not if he's pleasing to us as he is pleasing to you who said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But it all starts there. Help us, Lord. Maybe we've, we've started, and we're struggling. Help us to see things the way you see it. And others of us, maybe, Lord, uh, it's, just, it's just part of our culture. It's just part of our religious experience. It's, it's um, whatever it is. It's in our head, but it's not in the heart. And you want it to be in every bit of us. That's when the transformation takes place. And so, Lord, the thing that John was seeking that might be all of ours by hearing a story like Jesus changing the water into wine or any of the other signs that he covers in his gospel, Lord, may we have what he was seeking that we might get by hearing what he tells And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.